Coffee Clutch Crew, Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Series 11, Episode 1, The Woman Who Fell to Earth. And before we get started on our episode review, we want to welcome all of you. If this is your first time listening to CKC, we're a podcast covering all your favorite shows, Game of Thrones, Westworld, Mr. Robot, The Magicians, Sherlock. And now for the first time, we're diving into Doctor Who. For all of you Whovians who have been watching this show for some time, you can go back and check out our Christmas special, last year's 2017 Christmas special. While we did discuss that episode and what happened there, we also went back through the Doctor Who history, gave our thoughts on it, discussed some of the tiebacks. It's a better introduction for people who want to hear some of the spoilers and how everything connects back. But for newcomers, we also put out the Doctor Who guide. And that introduces you to this world for the first time, gives a little bit of background about the show, what you might need to know. And just a little bit of background. We didn't go too deep. It's very surface. We didn't want to give away too much. We didn't want to ruin the ride. Yeah, so those are two separate episodes, depending on what your history with this show is, that you can start off with. And then you can come here, where we're going to have weekly episode reviews. We'll start out with stats and fun facts, and then we'll get into our plot, reviewing things scene by scene and giving our thoughts and opinions. We will give a rating for the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Sonics. And our MVC, our most valuable companion. Each week we put up a Twitter poll, giving you four options on who the most valuable companion should be. You can vote in and we'll talk about our results. This podcast is very inclusive. Our Clatchers are as much a part of the podcast as Christina and myself are. So when the Clatchers comments and in the voting sections, we read off anyone's comments about that particular episode. We read out the poll. And also, read out email replies. And you can always email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or you can voicemail us, which is really fun. Just call ckc.6606, that's 252-368-6606, leave a message, and we'll play it on the podcast. We know that everybody is jumping into this show at a different point and has different background knowledge, so we're going to try to keep this open to all That means we might draw some comparisons to former seasons, former doctors, but we're going to try not to spoil any major plot moments that have already occurred in case you haven't seen those episodes. I know at times that might feel a little frustrating to fans who do know the entire background, but for you guys, we will have a spoiler section towards the end of the podcast where we can talk about those kinds of things. All that being said, Jason, this is a brand new series, a brand new doctor. And brand new companions. Let's get into our thoughts on The Woman Who Fell to Earth. First of all, it was directed by Jamie Childs and written by Chris Chibnall. The theme for this episode was survival. IMDb is giving it a 7.8. Rotten Tomatoes a 94%, but with an audience score of 63%. That's scary. 
And I know that when you have something so new, you have the Whovians who are less than willing to let go of certain things. But I believe, and we'll get into it deeper, I truly believe that Chibnall did a good job of including things that we're used to and slowly introducing some new patterns that we will soon enjoy. Yeah, we're going to talk about our overall thoughts in a minute. I I definitely would have given it higher than a 63%. I felt it was a little safe and a little neutral in certain areas, but it was definitely very strong in others. Here's some of what the critics are saying. Jodie Whittaker is a winner in the new series of Doctor Who. Instantly engaging as the 13th Doctor, she radiates positive energy and fizzes with fun. An entertaining debut in a solid series opener that succeeds as a statement of intent for this new era. That's exactly what I was saying, but in better words. (laughs) So let's talk about the new Doctor. I personally really enjoyed her. She still had that quiet intensity that most of our Doctors that we've grown to love have. The way I view most of the Doctors is the ability to see that whatever they're speaking, there's still so much going on in their brain. And they kind of show it with the way they jump from subject to subject really quick. The way their movements are super fast because so much is going on in their head. And then on top of that layered is the doctor per doctor personality. And I think Jody is giving a really good layer. Plus, I'm assuming that we're going to get it. It's going to get thicker and thicker as we move along, as the doctor realizes who she is. She had a lot of funny moments, a lot of quotable moments that we'll go through as we go through the plot. I know that I'm a little easier. I was starting this series with open eyes, open feelings, just absorbing and being willing and ready to welcome this new doctor. I agree in certain respects. I think I was also very open to seeing where this was going to go, perhaps because I didn't have as strong of an attachment to The Last Doctor. In the end, I really liked Peter Capaldi. I liked what he did with it, but it wasn't that emotional devastation. That we got with the 9 and 10 and 11. Right. Or those of you who have listened to previous episodes will know my doctor, contrary to popular opinions, was Christopher Eccleston. So... When we lost the ninth doctor and very shortly on, it was only one year, I felt that real sense of loss and the rejection to accept somebody new as my new doctor. I think it raised the bar a lot for David Tennant on what he had to do for me to like him and took more time to be won over. Luckily, he was so amazing at the doctor that that wasn't too hard. And while I did like all of the Doctors in this revival era, I think I do rank them in the order they appeared. And so Peter Capaldi kind of being on the lesser end of that, even though I did enjoy him, I think it makes it easier in a way to take in a new Doctor and see what they have to offer. I like Jodie Whittaker as an actress. I hadn't seen her in anything that I thought was comparable to tell me how she would be as the Doctor, though, so I wasn't quite sure where she was going to go with it. I think she did a great job of pulling in some of the things that we know as being the Doctor. It was immediately recognizable. It felt familiar, like the same spirit. But I also think it's very hard to tell in any regeneration episode, as the Doctor themselves are trying to figure out who they are. They're confused. They're stumbling around. For the majority of this episode, the doctor didn't even know her name. And so I think it's really difficult to bring your own flavor to that. I don't know that I've seen a lot of what's going to make this 13th doctor different and special. And yet I'm okay with that. I kind of expected it. I saw certain moments. There was about three key moments in this episode where I was like, oh, that's going to be her. And that was when the heat was on and she had to make a move. We also have to remember that as an actor... 
she is learning what she is as a doctor. Mm-hmm. It took Peter Capaldi another a good year, maybe two years, some would say, to really find his footing. David Tennant was my favorite, but believe it or not, Matt Smith was the pinnacle of the series where the most people watched. It brought in a younger crowd. He was silly, high energy, smart, but also quick to get a little bit upset. I believe, and this is just a guess based off of the little bit that we've seen, that we're going to get a lot of similarities with Jodie Whittaker. She's going to be witty. She's going to be a little bit goofy at times. But instead of being quick to get angry, I think she's going to show a lot more compassion. And that was evident with the fact that she stuck around in the end of the episode to watch the funeral. The other doctors would never even bother with that. They'd show up after if they wanted to talk to them again. Yeah, so Jason, you've been absorbing my comments (laughs) from the guide episode. I had said before going into this, just watching the little bit we were getting from the trailers, that I did feel a a kind of Matt Smith energy to her. Jodie Whittaker herself said this doctor will be high energy. Every episode requires a different side to her. That kind of manic behavior, a curiosity, a fascination, a take everything as it comes. I'll figure it out. A kind of youthful energy, for sure, these are all Matt Smith-isms. Where I did see some differences, she seemed more do-it-yourself. In this episode, the doctor doesn't have hardly any tools at her disposal. She doesn't have her sonic screwdriver. Empty pockets. Right. She doesn't have her TARDIS. And she's sort of making it up and making it work as she goes along. We're going to talk about building the screwdriver later in depth. This is something we haven't seen another doctor do before. I also thought she demonstrated some more human qualities. When they were climbing the crane, she says she doesn't really like heights. She's a little afraid of heights. Well, she was born falling out of the TARDIS. Correct. But these are all things I think that will be fresh and new to her. The excitement over shopping for clothes and picking out her outfit. The emotional connections of watching Ryan try to figure out, try to learn how to ride this bike Mm. and coming to the funeral and talking to the companions. The apologizing midway through, I'm so sorry I don't have this figured out yet. I'm so sorry this happened to you. I don't think that we've seen another doctor even really approach that kind of territory. No, it was more of a quiet sorry. It was more of a resentful sorry that made them angry. Mm -hmm. Or that they didn't often express to the companions at all, and surely not in the very beginning when it took them time to warm up to these new friends. So that being said, let's get into the companions. To me, it seemed like Ryan was kind of our central person. We introduced the others as they are related to him. How he knows Yaz from school, how Graham is his grandfather. And he gets a little more of the development and the emotional arc set up in this episode one. Thus, I feel the most connected to him so far. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that threw me for half a second, but I was like, whatever, I'll deal with it. He's supposed to be 19 years old. The dude's 30. Yes, agreed. He's 30 years old. He does not. That's not selling on any level. (laughs) They did say that every companion will have their episodes. So this definitely was Ryan's. I mean, we we had the background of his grandmother, his step-grandfather. Yes, this is her second husband. Yasmin. And, I mean, the opening sequence was him in a vlog. So, yes, this for sure is his main or at least one of his main episodes. Yeah, and I know they said they're each going to get equal weight. We'll have to wait as the series unfolds to see, but I wonder if he is going to kind of be 
slightly more important than the others is the feeling I'm getting that, that things will often kind of revolve around him. And in a trio, sometimes that's just unavoidable. I like how soon we are developing these people as humans with their own struggles, their own issues, not just as sidekicks to the doctor on their journey. And somewhere down the line, maybe we'll introduce a little bit about what they were dealing with here. Absolutely. I think they did a beautiful job with the introduction. They have a lot to introduce in one episode. The new doctor, the new companions, plural, give us enough background where we have compassion when someone passes away in the companion circle and make us feel like we know these companions at least a little bit by the time episode one is done. That's not an easy feat. And we will talk about them all more as we move along, but just quickly going to Graham, I thought the development on him was good. It was hard to get a read on. Mostly the connection was through Grace and their interactions together until the end of the episode. And then they started to emotionally build his arc as well. I'm left wondering, will he be the character that's resisting these travels, as we saw him in episode one, reluctantly going along, or will he internalize those messages from Grace and embrace these new adventures? I believe there'll be a mixture of both, but inevitably he will internalize Grace. That's one of the main reasons why Grace was in this episode, because Graham was the, I don't want to do this, we shouldn't do this, and Grace was the one pushing him. Grace was the one most emphatic about all of these journeys. She was the one that was so happy. I feel amazing. I'm so happy to be doing this. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and speaking of that, I just have to mention off the top that I thought she was the most interesting and fully developed character for this episode. I understand that they knew they were going to be taking her away quickly, so they had to do that all faster. And also make us feel something when she passes. And feel something for Graham moving forward, even if he's perhaps a little curmudgeonly and resistant to things. And and I do kind of hope that resistance continues a little longer. I think it's fun to have somebody like that in the dynamic. Absolutely. But it's a little difficult for me that one of the characters we like the most is removed within the first episode. And I'm not sure that we needed to do that yet. There was a lot of deaths for a first episode, for sure. There's two things that I was thinking about that. And I think you're right in some manners. But one, they had to put that time and they had to make us have that feeling so that the death meant something. But two, and something that we still don't know, we were told that she was a reoccurring character. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was a red heron to pull from our Game of Thrones terminology. Or maybe, like a lot of companions we've had in the past, a companion's death is not always the final time you see them. And that's what I'm really hoping. We had a lot of speechifying, especially from the doctor, that you don't really lose people. They become a part of you and continue along. They shape you, which is wonderful for characters like Ryan and Graham's emotional journey. But I hope it doesn't just end there. Mm. I do want to actually see more of Grace. And if they were planning on taking her off the table entirely, perhaps I would have liked to see another episode or two where she is our connection to Earth, we've seen secondary companions, if you will, in the past that serve that purpose. And I really like how that plays off of our primary companions' journeys. I don't know that you need her death to push forward these other characters right here as a plot device. I'm just not sure about an episode one ender. But finally, then we have Yaz, our third companion. And I think the least developed so far 
that's okay because as you said, we're going to get into different journeys as we go along each episode. We probably just haven't seen a lot for her yet. I have a feeling she's going to be my favorite. She does feel more like the classic companion that Mm. we've had in the past. Someone who wants to be challenged, wants more out of her current life, is seeking answers, and somebody who may ultimately have to step in to rein the doctor in a little (laughs) bit or check the doctor. I like that concept, so I'm just eager to see where it goes with her. I loved her opening scene as a police officer, putting her foot down with these two women who had a fender bender. I think that tells volumes for the kind of companion she's going to be. It's just a little breadcrumb to whet our appetite. And then lastly, we have the plot, which we can also talk about more. I I think perhaps the area they most struggled with, to me, it felt a little bit scattered. This main creature who is of the Stenza race. We're talking about Tim Shaw. (laughs) That's how the doctor refers to him. It's really supposed to be Zim Shaw, but... She couldn't get a handle on that, so Tim Shaw. There was something initially a little Cyberman-like feeling to me, how he presented before you got an up-close look, before he removed the face mask. I think that's on purpose. The first reveal gives you that familiar feeling. And this is for the Whovians who are resistant. Mm -hmm. Here's a little subconscious warmth. Yeah, and and ever so slightly. It wasn't a lot in your face. There was enough different about him. And and that I'm good with. And I like the backstory we get about him eventually, which is a little predator-like. Yes. But we're not introduced to him first. First, we're introduced to this electricity creature. Well, first we're introduced to a message requesting access. Right. (laughs) But the coil creature, as I'm calling it, who does seem sentient, our first few encounters with it, who creates a lot of this plot movement and who we seem to be tracking a lot of the time turns out to really just be high technology that the Stenza are utilizing. Well, that this one is using as a cheat. Correct. But maybe that's a little too confusing for a first episode if you're just jumping in on Doctor Who. Maybe we should have introduced the Stenza first. I don't know. There's something about that that just doesn't quite fit for me. I agree with you. The bad guy, the creature, was not the main subject in this episode. They had so much to introduce to us. They had so much more important things to deal with that the bad guy was actually secondary. And it showed. But I don't mind that for this first episode. We don't because we're returning. But I wonder how people that are new to Doctor Who feel about that. If this Mm. is enough to hook them, it's a show that can be high sci-fi at times. But that's not all it is. And at times the sci-fi misses on some levels, but at times it's really great. And I think you're walking a super fine line with people just starting off. So we'll talk about him more. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was somewhere neutral for me again. A couple other quick things I just want to throw out there, and then we will get into the plot, I promise. Most of the time the opening is not so long, but we have tons of information to try to cover. This episode was 65 minutes. That's how it was billed. That's not going to be the length of all of our episodes for the series. It was slightly longer as the premiere. And from what I'm hearing on the regular BBC channel, that's how it aired. However, for a lot of us here, we watched on BBC America. This Sunday, they gave us a special time 
where they would have a global simulcast, quote unquote, meaning we would get to see it at the 1.45 afternoon time. However, while they started out simulcasting at the same time, due to the commercials that they were building in that were very lengthy, plus the before and after segments where they were talking about the show, it wound up running more like an hour and 40 minutes. I don't have the exact time on that. But I guess because of that, they had to cut the length of the show material. So instead of 65 minutes, we got more like 58 minutes. Oh, wow. There was about seven minutes of content that was cut from there. And so later they tried to cover their tracks by saying the 8 o'clock p.m. showing would be an extended Ended. version. And I guess that means you and I missed about seven minutes of show. Great. Including the ending credits sequence where we really get to hear the Doctor Who theme music for the first time this season because they didn't open up with it in this premiere episode. And that did feel like a big loss to me. Yeah, there was a few things. One thing, you're talking about commercials. If you guys don't know, BBC, British Broadcast Channel, is funded by taxes. So there aren't commercials, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And then, of course, America is all about shoving... Eight bazillion commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Buy this. Materialism. Also, with this episode, we didn't get an opening, which is a big deal because Doctor Who, it's all about the openings and how it's changed over time, if you're a Whovian, because it matters. The song is different. The spiral into space is different. And it gets you excited for the episode, right? Yes. But I do understand them doing it for the first episode, throwing you right in there. We waited a year to find out what happened to the doctor when she fell out of the TARDIS. So they threw us right in. But a part of my brain, and I could be really off on this, so please refrain from the comments. <laughs> I'm wondering if the TARDIS is going to look different. And they, obviously she hasn't found the TARDIS yet. And they don't want to reveal the different looking TARDIS in the opening sequence until we actually find out what the TARDIS looks like. Well, and that could be. But to then rob us of the closing credits or any snippets of the music, it definitely feels like something is missing there. Now, in the trailers, we did get to hear parts of the song, which is connected to the Doctor Who music this series. And that's glorious. I didn't realize by Macklemore. Now, this isn't the opening title song. no but it's one of the main songs. We've seen it before in the past with other doctors. Whenever there was a moment where the doctor's stepping up and being a hero, you get that song in the background. Yeah, so that was great. We were fed that, and we did get some information about the opening song, the title sequence. Chibnall said we wouldn't see it until episode two. The composer doing this is Segun Akinola. So I'm wrong right away, because if they're opening episode two with it, well, then they would... Show if it, the TARDIS looked different. Maybe. Unless it's if a different edit. If we're going to see it right off the bat, who knows? Or I was even thinking they could do a cold open approach where we get a little sequence. Oh, yeah. And then it goes into True. the opening song. Because they're floating in space right now. Mm -hmm. So the composer revealed his version of the new sequence will feature original recordings of the very first sequence from 1963, which marks the first time any bit of that original track has been used. So that's exciting. I do like how they are mixing the new and the old thus far. And we also got some fun facts about the episode. For this one only, Whitaker did all of her own stunts. But I'm thinking there were some pretty big stunts, pretty physical moments for her. When she jumped from one crane to the other. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you noticed because we actually didn't watch the episode together. You see the line on her. 
They oh, didn't get rid of it. I didn't see that. It's that one shot that you, you're looking at her from below and she just grabs on. Mm-hmm. And you see the line. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I still thought that was pretty good. That's awesome. For the remainder of the series, her stunt woman, Belinda, will take over. For Graham's character, Bradley Walsh said he's wearing a wig the entire series because of the requirement for him to look older. Yeah, that's what I tell people when they say, you're getting grays. I say, no, it's a wig for my, (laughs) I'm doing a part. I have a part in a movie. (laughs) No, I'm supposed to look like that. (laughs) And coming back to this idea of our enemies, our monsters, we talked a lot in the Doctor Who guide about (laughs) what we would see if anything this series. Chibnall had made it very clear the Daleks, the Cybermen would not be returning. I guess he's gotten a lot of comments and questions since then. So to categorically... Squash it. Squash that, he said. I don't know how many times I need to say it. There are no old monsters in this series. This is a little worrying, but I'm staying open-minded. But our opening title song for our podcast has the Daleks. And New Whovian's going to be like, what's with this old sounding like, (laughs) Doctor? And they're not even going to know what it's about. Yeah, they're going to have to go back and check it out. I think people were very reluctant to accept that we wouldn't even get a glimpse because... Up until now, the Daleks have really been a reoccurring part of everything over the course of time. And the idea that each episode is going to be self-contained, we're going to get a lot of new creatures and enemies, there aren't going to be threads running consistently through, is a bit jarring. It's very different. Chibnall is making a stand here because a lot of what we loved about Doctor Who is that there'd be certain storylines that are underlining that you don't even notice at first, that get revealed at the end of the season. And that includes things about the Doctor, things about the companions, and the monsters, compounded with the fact that we're going to continue to be introduced to other side, I don't want to say companions because they'll be one-offs, but side characters, stars that we know. I don't know if you saw that clip. They said, coming soon, and they... it was like a 50 second clip of just introductions of all these characters. Yeah, I have all their names in our notes, by the way, but I didn't want to give it away. I agree. And I think that seeding of ongoing storylines is part of what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who. So I'm not entirely sure how they're going to move forward with that. And let's say, what will they do next series? Will these be the new characters that reoccur? Will we ever go back To the old creatures, you know, it just brings up a lot of forward momentum questions for me. But anyhow, I said I was going to be inclusive and here I go jumping backwards again. Mm, That's my fault too. I do have one more fun fact. It's about the Watch Party special, which aired before the episode. And I watched it. It had Maude Garrett as the lead host. I loved her on the YouTube show SourceFed. She's a quirky character. She's really smart. She's known for being a co-host on Nickelodeon Australia. She has the energy and the geekism that I really enjoy. I feel like when she's speaking, she's backing it up with her knowledge, and she actually loves what she's talking about. But I just kept saying, I wish we had that gig. <laughs> yeah, and she had three guests, right? I only caught the very end of that. She also did the post show. That's right. Taking over for Chris Hardwick. Taking a step back and looking at what they did with the pre-show and the post show, it actually made sense. She was at a party, and she had her key characters that she interviewed. It was supposed to be very fun, very quick moving. It was only a half hour long. She was introducing us to her panel, essentially, but you didn't know that till the end. And she was talking to people who were Whovians forever, people who were Whovians since the Ninth Doctor, and newcomers. So they're subconsciously making everyone feel comfortable Mm -hmm. about the new Doctor, the new writer, all of that stuff, new companions. And I actually 
thought it was pretty brilliant. A little cheesy at times, but I don't mind that. Well, without further ado, let's jump into our plot. We're going to go through all the scenes and major moments. Realizing it now, there may be about seven minutes worth of content we don't have in here. If there was anything standout, feel free to write in and let us know what that was. We open up, as you said, with the YouTube video being created by Ryan Sinclair. It's a vlog, Chris. Sorry, a vlog. Saying that he wants to tell us about the greatest woman he's ever met. This bookends the episode in a way. We will come back to that video later on and learn, to our surprise, he wasn't talking about the doctor. He was talking about his grandmother. But his grandmother. We do think it's about the doctor here. He also shares with us that while he is 19 years old, he still can't ride a bike. And this is where we're about to be introduced to Grace and his granddad, Graham, who are trying to teach him and helping him through these struggles. We learn the reason for this is that he has dyspraxia. I really like this idea. As I said before, it makes him a human character, somebody who's struggling with something that's going to be impactful throughout the series. But I was unsure about the depiction of it. Primarily, we got this through the bike scenes. But in real life, this is something he should be struggling with a lot more that would impact many other areas. The only other time they kind of mentioned it is when he was climbing the ladder Mm -hmm. to the crane, but it would have been way more of an issue. It felt like maybe it was something they wanted to put in there as a struggle, but perhaps they didn't weave it through the rest of the episode. Yeah, I wonder how they're going to revisit that from episode to episode. In case you don't know what this is, because it is a very rare condition. It affects fewer than 200,000 people in the U.S. each year. That's about 5% of school-aged children. I've seen you throw a baseball. I think you have it. (laughs) Jason, that is very insensitive. (laughs) This is a chronic neurological disorder that begins in childhood, but it does progress and continue into adulthood. It's known to affect planning of movements and coordination as a result of brain messages not being accurately transmitted to the body. So some of these things will look like clumsiness. It's affecting both gross and fine motor control, verbal abilities, sensory processing, and memory. Oh, man. So it's, it's not as though you just... Can't ride a bike. Wouldn't be coordinated enough to ride a bike. Exactly. You would have muscular problems sometimes with walking, muscle weakness, coordination. You might see speech delays or learning disabilities. And also common would be things like anxiety issues or panic attacks. You might also have problems with memory, difficulty remembering instructions, organizing deadlines. You might lose things, not carry out tasks properly. So not every person that has this gets all of those symptoms. Well, I have to say I didn't know all of this, Mm -hmm. so that was an insensitive thing, and I apologize for that. I think maybe there's a spectrum for it, and maybe he just has a little bit of it. Oh, of course, but that would still impact daily functioning Mm. regardless in other ways. You would see it with other things that he's doing over the course of the episode to make it more realistic. He does get frustrated with it. Perhaps we will see that manifesting in anxiety later on. There's no cure for this, only therapy to try to manage it, like occupational therapy. And we see him get really frustrated when he can't do it. He keeps falling off the bike. Eventually, he throws the bike over the side of the hill. I think this was a good introduction to Ryan and, of course, Grace and Graham. But what really stood out to me was how beautiful that scenery was. Later on, they're all sitting on the edge of the mountain talking, and you can see a beautiful landscape. Now, of course, this was shot in Sheffield, a city in South Yorkshire, England, which is a way to give an explanation for Jodie Whittaker's accent. Mm. All I kept thinking was, I want to live there. 
I want to be there. There was a lot of wide shots where there's beauty in the filming in a way that is perhaps unique to this series. And they keep the pace moving fairly quickly here. Grace and Graham leave for the train while Ryan goes down to the woods to look for his bike. And right away, a glowing symbol appears in the air. It has these gold squares and a circle symbol in the middle that Ryan touches, of course. The thing disappears, and in its place, something else turns up. A blue teardrop-like shape. When I saw that shape, I kept thinking of our diffuser. Yeah. It's the exact same shape. It kind of looks like that. Except it's also pulsating and glowing. And very cold. (laughs) But it's got the steam coming out, too. I like how we didn't know that it was a button until it was said that it was a button. And then I looked back and I was like, oh, that's obviously a freaking button. Oh, I knew it right away. Oh, you did? And even I had the inclination that if I was there, I'd want to reach out and touch it. Of course. Yeah, you just know it's going to be a bad idea. The doctor said she would touch it. (laughs) Well, of course she would. Not knowing what else to do, Ryan calls the police. This segues into the introduction we were speaking of to Yasmin Khan, a police officer who's solving a parking dispute that has escalated. She's frustrated to be handling such low-level work as she's still in her second-year probationary training. So her boss gives her something different to handle, and she goes on the call to Ryan. Again, not to repeat myself, so I won't go too far, but I thought this was a great introduction. They're handling these character introductions so smoothly. They're making us interested right away. We're getting a sense of their personalities, of their issues, and of their strengths right away. Well, Yasmin thinks this is a prank until Ryan convinces her to touch the object, and she sees it's freezing cold. Did you get the sense that it was cold the first time when Ryan touched it? I thought it was hot. It looked hot, but you often have that same reaction to something that's very cold. Actually, your brain interprets those two signals of the extremities very similar yeah. in that you ever play that joke on initial response because it's just sensory overload. Well, over on the train, we learn Graham and Grace have been married for three years, and he's wondering if Ryan will ever accept him. The train seems to have an accident, and all the lights go out. People run from it, but the doors lock before Graham, Grace, and a man named Carl can get out. They start to see what looks like the crackling of electricity. They call Ryan, who goes with Yasmin to help, and as they meet up, they see the front of the train explode and what looks like a ball of tentacles and electricity coming toward them. I don't know about you, Chris, but whenever a movie has something happen in a train, for some reason, I really enjoy it that much more. And I believe it's because you're on this train where you have no control. The train really can only go forward or back because it's stuck on a track. And you have all these doors with little windows. So even when you're safe in a train and you're looking down there, it's mysterious because you can barely see what's in the other car. Well, I'm particularly scary that there's hardly anybody else on the train right now. They've all managed to run. It's really setting the stage for what happens next. Suddenly, the doctor comes crashing through the ceiling. She grabs a live wire and jabs the creature, shocking it and buying them some time. When it quickly comes to, it briefly investigates our characters, but then disappears. The doctor tries to introduce herself to the others, but she is confused. She can't find her Sonic. She doesn't know who she is. She's surprised, but seemingly pleased to find out she's a woman. You three, relax, but stay put. I'll check the rest of the train. What a lot of use you two were. Hey! Hold on there, please, madam. I need you to do as I say. This could be a potential crime scene. Why are you calling me madam? Because you're a woman. Am I? Does it suit me? What? Oh, yeah. I remember. 
Sorry, half an hour ago I was a whitehead Scotsman. She says, I'm looking for a doctor. So right away we all know this is what happens to the doctor when she falls out of the TARDIS. Being a Whovian who has watched a regeneration time and time again, I thought, wow, okay, so she has some trouble remembering, but she's already able to defend herself. She's a little odd, to be expected. She's still regenerating. I guess the hardest thing to regenerate, to rebuild, would be the brain, especially a brain of her mass and her knowledge. And I even wrote in my notes, not as dramatic as the last few doctors. For example, Tennant needed to sleep for a while. Mm-hmm. If you remember that- He was napping through much of his regeneration episode. Yeah, and th- this was a Christmas episode, and there was some things going down. I actually made in my notes, I said, almost like a dead phone needing to charge, which is funny because later on in this episode, they talk about a phone. And then I thought about Capaldi. He had no idea what anything was. He forgot who his companion was, who had been a companion for a while now. Right. So if you haven't watched Doctor Who, this is fairly typical that there is a period of adjustment. Most likely by next episode, we will be out of that. You might see some of the effects lingering, but she should be a little bit more back to herself. However, they've also set a precedent that during this time, when the regeneration is happening, and that's why you see the golden light coming out of her later on, they're actually going to do a pretty good job of explaining that process. And I think that is for new viewers to understand. But during that time period, they can't really be hurt. They have this increased strength and resistance to damage. That's why she can fall all the way through the sky, through a train, and be okay, if that seemed a little off. (laughs) Think of it as an old school Nintendo video game. Like Contra, when you died but you came back to life, you're blinking for a little bit and you can't get killed again. Or like Jumanji, when you would get a reset and (laughs) fall from the sky and just land and be okay. I hope that with each regeneration, they no longer have to sleep because that kind of puts a stall on getting to know this new doctor. Maybe it could be used as a tool to get to know the companions more. I think that's what they did here. They shortened it. Later, she's just going to kind of take a power nap. Yeah. They still had it there to keep true to the idea, but she was able to be more active in the first episode. But there are other ways to do it. There could be where she has like power surges where randomly you'll see the orange and it'll kind of puff out and push everything away from her. So Mm -hmm. the companions get thrown off just randomly and she'll be like, sorry, I do that sometimes. You know, a little wit, Doctor Who wit. I think that would be fun too. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I like that the companion's reactions to her ranged initially. Yasmin wants to call and report the situation to her superiors, but the doctor knows they won't believe her and asks Yaz to hold off until they figure out what it was. They're having trouble believing her, believing that the creature was an alien, but they also kind of want answers. So I think it's it's most difficult to get Yaz into it initially, but Ryan is going with it and she kind of goes along. This is the point where Ryan admits to the doctor something else strange did happen today. I'm distracting myself. You came crashing through that roof. I've thrown out of my TARDIS. Oh, I've lost my TARDIS. It was exploding and then it dematerialized. Don't panic. Not the end of the world. Well, it could be the end of the world, but one thing at a time. So they drive out to the woods in search of what he found. I love this quote. The doctor says, that's exciting. No, what do I mean? Worrying? <laughs> <laughs> the searching for words and trying to figure out how things fit together, especially her sensory capabilities, is sometimes on the nose to the point that 
at one point in the episode, she actually sticks her finger up her nose. Up her nose, yeah. <laughs> but this moment really brought the humor out for me. And of course, when they get to the spot Ryan's describing, it's gone. All our characters agree to help split up and try to find out information. You know, Graham goes to the other bus drivers. Grace is going to ask her nurses group. This was all Graham's idea. Ask a bus driver. I always say that. <laughs> and Grace and Ryan stay with the doctor, who looks strange. She says she's tired and then passes out. They watch her as she sleeps on the couch, where they see the light coming out of her. And Grace reports she has two separate pulses. Before that, that's where we saw the nose thing. Mm-hmm. And we get a little Doctor Whoism. I never go anywhere. That's just initials. All these little things made me smile. And meanwhile, while this is happening, a white van pulls up to a garage where our diffuser-shaped object is inside. A man named Raul anxiously stands watch over it until it finally cracks open. Inside comes this creature in a metal suit. And Raul demands to know where his sister is, but it kills him. This is one of the things where I believe if they had more time, they could have really fleshed this out and it could have meant more to us. We saw Raul get it. He had someone else bring it to him. We saw that he was in a lot of distress. It meant a lot to him. And then we slowly found out why. But we actually never saw him have a conversation. I was really confused by the introduction of his character at all. You know there's seemingly this important backstory of him losing his sister. I am hopeful that will make sense later that these creatures aren't just being dropped and that we'll go back to it. For instance, we also find out down the line many humans have been taken by this race as part of their ritual. And they're being kept in stasis, somewhere between life and death, in trophy cases. Surely this is not something the doctor's just going to drop now that she's kicked him off the planet. Her whole goal is to save humans, so she has to go back there, right? You would think so, especially knowing that this happens often. I had seen some comments where they thought this was a plot hole, where if Ryan, by clicking that button, allowed Tim Shaw to come, then how did Raul's sister get kidnapped before? And I don't think it's a loophole. I think uh, it was another situation just like that. You put something glowing and obviously a button, especially in our day and age, you're going to touch it. You're going to click that button. Well, it seems like they could transport using the device they had. This was more just like an accident that called him here at that given moment. He was coming to the planet is what I'm saying either way, I think. No, he needed access. There is universal laws where you can't just come into the earth. That's what I got out of it. Unless you're invited or granted access. And Ryan granted him access. Oh, sure. But it was part of a plan. He knew he was going to go hunting for a human. He had this whole thing devised to use the coil creature. He just had to set it up enticingly enough that somebody would push that button. Speaking of, nearby on a roof, we see that electric ball seeming to be scanning the whole city. And then the doctor wakes up. She says, who woke me? I'm not ready, still healing. And yet she is able to quickly pick up on the situation. I liked that. She feels something, realizes all of them have a pulsating light device embedded into their collarbone. She explains that they are DNA bombs, micro implants that code your DNA. On detonation, they disrupt the foundation of your genetic code, melting your DNA, fast and nasty, and outlawed in every civilized galaxy. How did we get them? Never mind that. Are they going to go off? Quiet. I'm trying to think. It's difficult. I'm not yet who I am. Brain and body still rebooting, reformatting. 
a terrifying prospect that was also swept over really quickly. And although it should have had a lot of gravity, I was never in fear of those bombs exploding. It never became an impending reality. If this guy is willing to just kill, no remorse, why would he not explode those bombs? Why bother with them? Yeah, just explode it right away so that there's no witnesses. Even on the roof later on, why did he let them live? There was some well, few he things. Can't, he can't use certain weaponry. The rules are kind of confusing because when she asks that, he says he's gotten around it by using his touch, which is freezing cold. And yet he can use micro implants. I don't. No, he can't. That's cheating. So maybe he wanted to maybe get away with it without detonating it so he wouldn't get in trouble. I'm guessing here. So they would know about the detonation, but they wouldn't know he brought a coil creature there yeah, to true. scan. It's, it's a little wonky. But okay, moving past that, the doctor begins to show her ingenuity and in how she's going to get around these situations, even though she doesn't have a lot of tools at her exposure. She reprograms Ryan's phone to check the original signal for the bombs. This leads them to the building where the diffuser, as I'm now calling it, is being kept. They see the side of the building explode and Tim Shaw running away. So they go to investigate the warehouse and they find Raul dead. Grace says his injuries aren't like anything she's ever seen before. The doctor realizes the diffuser was some sort of transport chamber. She just hasn't quite pieced all this together yet why it's happening here and now. Until Ryan explains it could have been his fault because he touched that button. And realizing she needs to analyze this thing better, the doctor decides she needs to rebuild her own sonic screwdriver. She blasts hammers, and builds away until she has one. This is one of the scenes where I was talking about where you really get to see what the doctor's potential is, what Jodie Whittaker's doctor's potential is. Funny, witty, resourceful, and fun. I really enjoyed this. And I commented to you right after the episode, this has to be new, right? I mean, sometimes we see the doctor trying to repair things, hammering away at the TARDIS and sparks are flying and maybe something gets fixed. Sometimes we get the idea it's the TARDIS itself lending some magic or some energy, but I didn't remember ever seeing a doctor actually sitting down and saying, I'm going to build what to us is the equivalent of a magic item. But I think it still fits because we never actually saw the doctor getting the new screwdrivers, but from time to time, from doctor to doctor, he would have a new screwdriver. So maybe this is something we just never saw. I was wondering about that, so I looked it up, and it says, This is the first time we see a sonic screwdriver being constructed. It was previously established that the TARDIS was capable of making new screwdrivers whenever they needed replacing. In Day of the Doctor, it's also established the software that runs the screwdriver is essentially transferred from one to the next. So it is the same screwdriver on a software level. Thus, it is kind of the TARDIS or the screwdriver itself replacing itself over time oh, with okay. its own magic and energy and information, making this a huge feat that she was able to do it. Well, she's over a thousand years old, well over a thousand at this point. Maybe she's just, you know, she's smarter. True, but we've never seen that kind of ingenuity. I remarked to you, there was one time where we saw something else kind of being made get to that later in the spoiler section but other than that i don't recall if if there were other times we're forgetting about please write in and let us know i really like the thought of her improvising as she goes along and that's down to her plan for how she's going to deal with this as well 
This is also the point where the doctor explains to her crew that her whole body has changed. It's still reordering and regenerating. We get the description a little of what that's like. She says there's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. It's terrifying. Right now, I'm a stranger to myself. There's echoes of who I was and a sort of call towards who I am, and I have to hold my nerve and trust all these new instincts, shape myself toward them. I'll be fine in the end, probably. I have to be. Because if there's one thing I'm certain of, when people need help, I never refuse. This is the moment where I realized Chris Chibnall is really loving orange. A lot of times in this episode, the lighting was very orange. Whenever anything magic was happening, or magic to us, whenever that button came down, that was orange. The new logo was orange. The trailer, where they just had her and the TARDIS in that field, everything, the sky was very orange and red. So I'm wondering if this is going to be the theme throughout Jody's Doctor. And just brighter colors in general, I thought. Our entire palette, a majority of the time, it felt new and fresh. And I'm sure that's a purposeful symbolism through the use of art and color. One of the many Doctor Who quotes that we get, the Doctor Who-ish quotes that we get, is, I'm good at building things. Probably. I love that. The Doctor was always very sure but not really. Yeah, they're always just kind of winging it at the end of the day. And while searching, Yaz and Ryan agree that they believe the Doctor is an alien. They've kind of had an unspoken conversion, and I was glad that it didn't take too long for them to get on board with all this craziness. As we go on in the episode, perhaps at times it was a little unbelievable. There were no comments like, what, this is really happening? Or what do you mean we have to do this? They were just all in on this plan to fight aliens and engage in insane. Most of the companions are. Oh, I think at the beginning, though, there's maybe some more questioning and resistance. It felt like they came over pretty damn quick. Do you think Chibnall's going to... I hope he does, because it's one of the things I love. When they finally get to the TARDIS, are they going to say it's bigger on the inside? If they don't, I'll be very disappointed. (laughs) But he is cutting the fat in a lot of areas. When Yaz and Ryan find Raul's computer, on it there's a video where Raul says, It's come back. My sister, they tried to say she disappeared, but I know she was taken. Seven years now. Tracking energy signals, building predictive programs, so that I'd know when the atmospheric disruptions match what happened that day. And tonight, it came back again. And I've got it. I am going to find out what happened to my sister. If anything happens to me, her name was Asha. Don't let anyone else go through this. Which seems to bolster the idea that they are doing the right thing by joining the Doctor and helping in her crusades. They're learning that their endeavors of morality, justice, doing the right thing. They come back out and they share this information with the Doctor who has just finished building her new screwdriver. She explains to them, it is multi-purpose, scanner, diagnostics, tin opener. It's like a sonic Swiss army knife, only without the knife. Only idiots carry knives. It's something we've been thinking for the entirety of Doctor Who. What are the rules about this Hmm. thing? What can it do? Can it do anything? It can unlock anything except for wood. (laughs) Right. We have learned that. It is an ongoing theme. If you're new to this, you probably aren't aware that the doctor does not typically resort to violence. That's one of his or her hallmarks. There's only been key moments. Exactly. And they were challenged by other characters within the show. 
people warned the doctor, are you sure about this move? This isn't what the doctor stands for. So it's always been a message they're putting forth. The doctor doesn't carry a gun or a weapon. She uses her ingenuity, her wits, and her sonic screwdriver. And again, to not belabor past doctors, but there was one key moment in a past doctor where he realized he, in fact, is a weapon. Mm. It can feel like, and I tried to look at this episode with fresh eyes, how is she capable of doing these things? What does she really have to fight these enemies? And at moments we're worried for her. How is she going to get out of this? But it's just the tip of the iceberg you'll see of how she does manage to get herself through these situations. I mean, even her plan, she starts to describe it. She's mapping the distance that this object has traveled that sent Timshaw here. And she realizes he'll have to come back here eventually if he wants to go home. The group is saying two aliens on the same night, this electricity creature, the Timshaw, what are the odds of that? But she says she thinks there are two species at war using Earth as a battleground. So her plan is to stop the meeting, capture them, and send them home. It's very complex. Yeah, that was very alien versus predator. But that wasn't the case. The doctor was wrong. Well, not Really? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We're about to explain a little bit more about this Denza. It's Zim Shaw, okay? Get it right. (laughs) That was another really funny moment. Maybe the best, in my opinion. Yeah, the doctor finds the coil creature. They're up on this rooftop. She's able to, again, temporarily stun it, and she tells the group it's half organic and half machine. So it did start out as kind of a creature. These tentacles she calls gathering coils. And they're used to gather information. But what Tim Shaw has done is lashed dozens of the tentacles together, augmented them into one super creature to create weaponized biotech. That, as we said, he can use essentially to cheat, to locate the human he's looking for on Earth. So it's not a battleground in the sense that the two aliens are fighting each other, but there is one race here to hunt and to do harm to humans. I need to ask you this. And it doesn't really bother me with this show. I love this show. But how come all bad guys have the need to explain to the people they're going to kill everything they're doing? It's, <laughs> it's ex- always that. It's exposition. It's If we're looking for another way to explain, and there's one thing that you will notice, it, it's really necessary to do if you're introducing an entire new fan base to this show. Mm-hmm. The Doctor does a lot of, this is regeneration, this is what a sonic screwdriver is. Oh, for sure. This is what these aliens are. But that's not so out of the norm for the Doctor-companion dynamic anyway. Right, because every time there's a new companion, they have to re-explain what's going on. We get time and time again, it's bigger on the inside, but that's what we love. Well, yeah, for new people, though, it might just feel like a lot of exposition, Over time, you will sort of get how that relationship is built and that the doctor is kind of half excited to share this knowledge about other races, especially other places. I can take you anywhere, anytime. And she only shares bits of things at a time as she's coming to these revelations in her own mind. So the rest of the group is often left saying, Wait, what? What are you talking about? What's going on here? At this point, the doctor sees that they are scanning for Carl, the man from the train in the beginning. Carl! Which is strange. It's like, what is special about this man? We find out when Timshaw finds the group on the roof and removes his mask to show a face with teeth implanted into the skin. 
and he tells them a warrior wears his conquests, which explains the teeth he's been pulling from his victims. We hadn't really known what was going on with that until now. The juxtaposition between the first Doctor Who, which we spoke about in last episode, where they were afraid to be too scary, to now, this guy is as scary as it gets. I dare say it's probably the scariest looking and thematic monster that we've had yet in Doctor Who. Well, and especially because the CGI and special effects are a little bit better this season. For those of you who have gone back at our suggestion and started from the Ninth Doctor, we've gotten a few comments. What's going on with Mm. these creatures and the look of them? Pretty cheesy in the beginning. Pretty cheesy. I, I mean, love that's never, I love it. That's never going to stop with Doctor Who. Even here, there's a little cheese factor, but the visual presentation is for sure way more advanced. Tim Shaw also tells us he's soon to be leader of the Stenza race. If he completes this ritual successfully, he, he will, will be. be, which is that the leaders randomly designate a selected human and they send one of the Stenza here alone with no weapons or assistance. He must locate the human and return home with it to become leader. This is how the doctor knows the coil is a cheat. He broke the rules in order to scan the planet and find Carl. Before they can do anything more, though, Tim Shaw transfers all the information out of the coil and leaves. Which is where we go over to Carl, working as an operator for Skylock Building Services, who's listening to positive thinking messages while operating his crane. And if you don't remember... Carl was the guy on the train who was like, I just want to walk home alone. I don't want to be a part of this. I have to take a sidebar here to say, at times, these secondary characters have felt more fleshed out and I'm more connected to them. We were talking about Grace earlier and perhaps the necessity to do that, knowing you're going to take her out after this episode. But even Carl. Mm. I felt really connected and as though I knew who Carl was. I knew what he was about, what he was struggling with. I really liked him. I think Chibnall, and again, I'm guessing here because it's way too early to say this, but I feel like Chibnall is going to be more about character building. That's something that Moffat really wasn't interested in with Doctor Who. Sherlock is a different storyline. These sideline characters where we have to worry about them, we have to have a feeling... We want them to survive, or we want to feel something when they die. Chibnall's going to give us reason to care. Well, if they are truly self-contained episodes without long-ranging themes, it is absolutely necessary to do that. We see Tim Shaw has begun hunting Carl, and our crew arrives in time to try to stop this. Graham and Grace work to get everyone off the property, the people that are working there, while Ryan and Yaz follow the doctor up a crane ladder that they hope to swing closer to where Carl is at and help him get away. Again, this is the doctor flying by the seat of her pants. I'll figure it out when we get to the top. And she's craving fried egg sandwiches. Ah, yes. Which, again, Chibnall is doing a good job for the Whovians who've been watching. This is a little wink-wink. We can think about... Matt Smith, when he was craving something with Amy Pond, didn't know what he was craving and then found out it was fish fingers and custard. And again, it humanizes her. Here, too, is the comment that she's not really liking the heights up high on this ladder. And to make matters worse, the coil creature is being used to try to bring down the entire ladder from below. They manage to swing this crane over, get Carl's attention, 
and the doctor tries to encourage him to jump the gap to get over to her. He takes some persuading, but finally gains the courage. However, as soon as he jumps, Timshaw catches him, forcing the doctor herself to jump the gap and come over to them. She shows Timshaw the recall socket from his pod. Without it, he can't get home. So she gives him an ultimatum, let Carl go or she destroys it. This is the point where I actually realized, and I'm probably slow on this, but I actually realized that she was wearing Capaldi's clothing. Outfit? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't click until that moment. And I don't know why it took that long. It was a little earlier for me, but there is a point where she references the fact that she used to be... Sorry, half an hour ago I was a white-haired Scotsman. Then it started kind of falling together and realizing that there are bits of Capaldi still in there. You know why I noticed? When she jumped the crane, they did a close-up of her feet. And I was like, that was Capaldi's shoes. <laughs> well, and this is the real amazing moment where the doctor finally figures out who she is now. We can evolve while still staying true to who we are. We can honor who we've been and choose who we want to be next. Now's your chance. How about it? Who are you? Yes. I'm glad you asked that again. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Now, please, get off this planet while you still still have have a choice. choice. Again, reminiscent of Matt Smith. Nothing is as badass as the way he said... Oh, it was awesome. Run. Basically, run. Run. (laughs) She tells Timshaw she removed the bombs with her sonic and implanted them back into the coil creature. So when he transferred the information before he left the rooftop from it, he put the bombs back in himself. Mm -hmm. That was an awesome plan. That was very doctor. Even if you're going to die from this, which he doesn't die from that. But if you will, it's not from my hands. And also, very doctor that we didn't know that was going on, but of course there was more of a plan than what we were aware of. And at this, Tim Shaw flees. If you noticed, Tim Shaw, I can't believe we're calling him Tim Shaw. Well, he's referred to actually everywhere now. As Tim Shaw. As that. Isn't it great? Yeah. He was pushed off before he evaporated or transported back. And that was by Carl. And right away, she says, you had no right to do that. And that was a reaffirmation to the new Hoovians or soon-to-be Hoovians that she okay. will not kill. Hold on, because I don't think I got that clip. I got that clip. We might be getting to an area where there's a major point that I didn't see. Yeah, she said, you had no right to do that. Oh, my God. And I didn't he, see Carl push him. He kicked him off. How? And he was falling, and then he... Evaporated about. How could you cut that of all things? All I saw was him falling and then press the. It was fast. Maybe you just missed it. Listen, you went back home where there's three dogs, a baby. Nobody was there. Okay. I was watching in silence with my laptop with the volume on like a million. Oh. I'm a little concerned about that. But it's that did happen. Okay. Good to know. This doctor still believes in not killing. And she has to explain that to the companions. I mean, they wouldn't know what the rules are. No, she doesn't have to explain it. I think the reason why she chooses and he chooses in the past these companions because they have the same appetite for adventure, the same 
moral, more or less, for life, and on and on and on. But that's one of the things that and she... And sense of fairness. No, I understand. But in a human moment like this, I mean, she has to explain it in the sense of the way she apparently did here with Carl. A human instinct when something is attacking you is going to at least be to defend yourself, to mm-hmm. push them away from you or... But he was no longer defending himself. At that point, Tim Shaw was defenseless. Uh, maybe. Maybe. This is still a hugely monstrous alien creature that can kill you upon touching contact with your skin because he's so cold. It's still a huge threat to a regular yeah. human like Carl who's been cornered on the top of a crane. So I think it's only natural that she tell them in that way. Okay, listen, this is what we're about, though. We try not to use violence. We don't hurt people unless we really have to. Our goal is to save people. It seems like all is well, but on the ladder below, after Grace manages to fry the coil creatures, she falls in the process. Oh, did not see that coming. Ooh, it was a real gut punch. It winds up being a fatal injury, and as she lays dying, Grace makes Graham promise that he won't be scared without her. That was like the fifth human death in one episode. And as you said, somebody who we were thinking is a character that would be around was definitely quickly established and developed. I actually didn't think she was going to be around just because we were doing extensive homework before this podcast. And I knew she wasn't one of the main names. I knew she was reoccurring. When they list someone as reoccurring, that always yeah, means true. more than one episode. But not a main companion. So the whole time I was like, well, maybe she stays back. Yeah, and as we've said, there are secondary companions, such as Donna's grandfather, Wilfred, in the past, who have stayed back on Earth, but have been pretty important. Yeah. And keep us connected to the human affairs happening on Earth. Rose's mother, Rose's boyfriend, part of the time for that matter. There's always been someone. Well, here is where we come back to the bookend that... Ryan is making his vlog, telling us that he first lost his mother six years ago and now his nan. He says she died like she lived, trying to help other people. This seems to give him another burst of encouragement. He goes back out to the field and gets back up on the bike, and the doctor watches from afar as he keeps falling. Trying over and over and over again. Perseverance. We don't know if he persevered, necessarily, but the fact that he was trying so hard for his grandmother... Another thing that we know that we didn't uh, press upon is that his father's still alive, just never around. They're going to say in this next scene when they go over to Grace's funeral and the doctor is talking to Ryan, he can't believe that his dad really isn't going to show up here. So that's definitely going to be a major issue moving forward. Absolutely. And as we said, just the doctor taking interest enough already in the companion to do these things. I mean, we've seen the doctor interrupt his longtime companion, not even a new one, wedding. Yeah. Because he needed something that's way more important. Well, and even if previous companions have been bringing their boyfriends, significant others on journeys, it's like the doctor almost can't even be bothered to learn their name or (laughs) what the deal is with them, what's going on. But she's here during all of this, and she's going to have a conversation with them afterwards, even about family. Uh, Not a topic often broached by the doctor. First, Graham gives his eulogy about Grace. When he finishes, he comes out to talk to them. He explains to the doctor why he'd thought they ran out of time three years ago. He had cancer, and Grace was his chemo nurse. It was there that they met and fell in love, but he ended up going into remission. 
So after telling this story, Yaz asked the doctor if she has family. She admits, not for a long time now. And we've gotten a couple of cryptic messages over the years about the doctor and potentially if he or she had a family. Yes, I think this is Chibnall's way of getting us more emotionally involved in the doctor. And we've seen this a few times, but it was always just the surface. And I believe it's still just the surface, but it was a moment to push forth a message, but also learn the emotion behind this doctor. For the new Whovians, uh, the doctor had to make a decision a long time ago that was uh, something that was very hard to make. Uh, That's as far as we'll go. But what I really enjoyed was Jody is really good at being the witty, goofy doctor, but also having those soft moments. Yeah, well, even though the way she explains it to them, that these people are never gone from her and they become a part of her, it's like she's trying to relate to their loss, their suffering, their human emotion. And she ends it by saying, I'm just a traveler. Sometimes I see things that need fixing and I do what I can. After that, the doctor kind of switches gears. She reflects that she needs to find her TARDIS kind of back on her mission. But Yaz convinces her that first, she needs new clothes. (laughs) After tons of attempts, she finally finds the new outfit. And this seems to be the costume, so to speak, that we're going to get for the rest of the season. I'm talking about the kind of high water pants, the suspenders, and this long trench coat. There were piles of clothes. I don't know if you noticed on the the floor there. But I think bigger than that, it was the doctor was going to kind of go on her way. And it was the companion saying, well, first, let us help you with something. You know, you got to change up this get up that you have going on. You know, I kind of like this new get up. I think it's fun. It's spunky. I had one of our older clatchers discuss with us something that we did not live through. I'm talking about Mork and Mindy. Uh, Okay, speak for yourself, because they had Nick at Night reruns when we were growing up. I wasn't super familiar, but I definitely saw some episodes of Mork and Mindy. And Mork is wearing that type of suspender. So we're left to wonder, is that on purpose? Is she going to be like a Morky type of person? Remember, Mork was an alien. Also, didn't he come out of an egg-shaped thing, like a pod that cracked open. And we see a teardrop-shaped thing that cracks open, releasing a creature inside (laughs) of it here. So perhaps another tie-in. I wonder. That's kind of fun, though, because everyone loved Mork. Mm -hmm. Well, once they're finished getting her outfit, the doctor asked the group if they could help her with finding the TARDIS. You know, this one last thing they can do for her. She's tracked the energy trail from the moment she'd lost it and configuring the transfer pod to send her to the planet where the TARDIS is. She manages to do this, says goodbye to them, but at the moment of transfer, they all dematerialize with her. We get this last shot of her floating through space and seeing that they're all behind her. And choking and dying. Yeah, and it's all very slow motion. We're not going to talk about the science behind this because if you were in space without a suit or anything. It's not about not being able to breathe. Science fiction is the key (laughs) thing to remember here, people. But that's how we're going to end the episode. So hopefully we will open up with episode two, The Ghost Monument, finding out what happens to our companions and where the TARDIS is. I'm excited to find out where the TARDIS is because if the TARDIS is part of the story, we're going to go back in time, forward in time. And those are my favorite things. 
Well, we kind of already know that we're going to do that. So we definitely have to find it. Those are some of our key questions, though. Where will it be? What will it look like when we find it? Jason, you had mentioned, is it going to be different? Where exactly is the group headed now? You know, what will their adventure be in the ghost monument? And how will they feel about being taken? Obviously, they're going to know this isn't the doctor's fault, but I'm assuming they're going to have some feelings about that and wherever it is they wind up. Well, all that being said, let's move into our rating for this episode one. On a scale of one to ten sonics, what do you give it, Jason? Well, I am known to grade way too high on a beginning episode for a season because I'm so excited, super happy that we're back for every single show that we cover, and I grade a little too high. So, keeping that in mind, I went with 8.3 Sonics. I think the introduction to Jody's character, this new Doctor, I'm very intrigued. We got three new companions. It's so different, but I'm not put off by it. Well, for all the reasons I've already said, there was a lot of things I liked about this episode, but in general, I am kind of holding judgment because I think it was difficult with the regeneration to exactly figure out where things were going to land. Some things were played a little close or perhaps a little safe. And there's a lot of building still left to do. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I felt the spirit of Doctor Who. I still have some questions and some worries. But overall, it is working for me. So I am going to give it a solid eight Sonics, which puts us somewhere in between IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty typical for how we usually rate. Moving on to MVC, our most valuable companion for the episode. Now, because Jason and I did not watch together, we hadn't quite gone over the rules of how we were going to put this up. (laughs) I think it's awesome for the first episode and first introduction we had the doctor up here. But moving forward, most of the time we probably will not. It will be other companions. Right. MVC stands for Most Valuable Companion, which means his main companions, anyone else who's helping in the storyline. And the Doctor essentially is a companion, so if need be, we will input the Doctor, but we're afraid if we always have the Doctor in our polls, everyone's going to vote for the Doctor. The Doctor's probably always going to win. Yeah, that's really not fair. So this week we asked via our Twitter, at CKC Podcast, if you want to be included in this and have some fun with us, follow us. And we gave you four options. Why only four? Well, Twitter only lets us do four. So I put The Doctor, Grace O'Brien, Graham, and Tim Shaw. Yeah, and you kind of messed up with Tim Shaw there because you don't have Ryan on the list. Tim Shaw was a bad guy. Ryan was our third companion, so really he should have been up there. I messed up. Normally we (laughs) talk, we discuss. She wasn't there, so I had to wing it. But if I was going to put a secondary companion, I definitely would have done Carl. Yeah. I have a feeling he probably would have gotten a lot of votes. I suck. That's what she <laughs> no, said. No, it's okay, but... <laughs> Coming in at needless last to place. Say, right, <laughs> in the last place with their 0% was Tim Shaw. Granted, he was a bad guy, but I thought, you know what? Let's put the introduction of a new kind of monster. And we say monster. If you guys are wondering why we keep calling them monsters, originally in the old school Doctor Who, they named all the bad guys monsters. I thought the introduction of a new monster would be awesome. And he was. He was really cool. But the monster was secondary to everything else going on in this episode. Coming in at third place with 8% is Graham. I believe that he will eventually have at least one first place. He seems like a character that has room to grow. And the actor himself, Bradley Walsh, 
he's going to shine a few times. Coming in in second place with 33% was Grace. And definitely she had a standout episode. Knowing what we do now, it could possibly be the only time to vote for her. So I think that definitely had some impact here. And 58% is the doctor. And that's what we were afraid of. Of course, the doctor inevitably will be the most valuable character, companion. I think it makes sense here. In our comment Mm -hmm. section, we always ask, give us a vote and leave us a comment. If you don't have Twitter and you don't want to just create an account for Doctor Who, you can always email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. So our Clatchers wrote in. Lewis says he voted for Graham because he gave them a lead with the bus driver bit. Wesley also says honorable mention to Graham for the scene where he and Grace are directing employees out of the work area. I clearly got the impression Graham had made similar spiels dozens of times during his years driving buses. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. To both of you guys. Anastasia wrote, I was really happy and impressed. The 13th Doctor is awesome. Agreed, agreed, agreed. And finally, Brian said, I have to say I found bits of the last four Doctors in Jody's performance. I've been nervous because I have Whovian friends who are bent out of shape by the change before they ever saw an episode. So I was hoping she'd hit it out of the park, and in my opinion, she did. She really did. And yes, like I've been saying this whole episode, a lot of Whovians are going to be remiss for change. So that just leaves our MVC for the episode. I had thoughts about Ryan, who we didn't end up putting up here, but I think I'm definitely going to go with Grace. I'm going to go with Grace as well. I think she saved the crew, sacrificed her life, and made a lasting impression. Well, that's going to do it for everything except our spoilers section. This has been a great opening to Series 11. We've really enjoyed reviewing Episode 1. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a rating and review on iTunes or any podcast app that you're listening to. And tell your friends about us. Let's make this companionship even bigger. Yeah, we have a following on our other channels in the main CKC channel, but Doctor Who is new to us. So please don't forget to subscribe so your episodes come in regularly. And if you're liking what you're hearing, tell other people about it. It will help us to be found on the podcast apps and for other people to join in on the Doctor Who conversation. And don't forget, if you want to personally join in on the conversation, you can email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or call us and leave a voicemail for us to play on the podcast by calling ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Call in, tell us your thoughts of the episode, or even a question, and we'd love to hear from you. So for everyone headed out now, we will see you next week when we review episode two, The Ghost Monument. For those who are traversing into the spoiler section, welcome. We mentioned a couple things that we wanted to come back to here. One of them was... In speaking about the doctor creating something for the first time using the sonic screwdriver, I mentioned there was one exception. What I'm thinking about is the time the doctor basically built a makeshift TARDIS. And this is when he got to meet the spirit of his TARDIS embodied in the form of a woman. That was a great episode. It was an amazing episode. Really gave us so much to think about as far as fleshing out what is the TARDIS, what is this sentience that embodies it, and what is the relationship that the Doctor has with it. And that becomes so relevant right now when the Doctor doesn't have her TARDIS. And it's such a huge loss, a gaping hole there. So I know that he did kind of manage to do that. A, I think it was because he still had 
that spirit of the TARDIS with him, whatever the magic and the life was that inhabited it, he basically had to build the shell, which was only even half a shell of the, the being of the TARDIS, but the essence, wherever the life came from, was there. Whereas here, the Doctor doesn't have that. She is creating the entire thing from scratch. So I do still think maybe that's different unless there are other circumstances I'm forgetting. The second thing we mentioned is about getting this backstory on the doctor's family. For a long time, we had not that much. Then we were given a bit of the background. It was revealed that he has been a father in the past. He lost his children a long time ago. We learned a little bit about his childhood, that he grew up in Gallifrey, in a house on the mountainside, it was a very lonely childhood where he was withdrawn from other children and he was cared for by guardian figures who privately doubted his abilities as a Time Lord. He was pressured to join the army, but he wanted to enroll in the Time Lord Academy instead and just scraped through with a 51% on his second attempt. There he met his childhood friend, the Master. And so when I talk about people that he's kept with him, you know, I include people from his childhood, people like the master, his children, whatever the heck that. We still don't have really the backstory on that. Uh, River Song, obviously, and companions that he's lost along the way. I think mentally in his, her mind, going back and forth now, she would agree that those are all people that she kind of holds on to that she's referencing in this episode when she tells that to our new companions. And finally, we just got a brief glimpse at what's coming up next in episode two. We are always going to include that in the spoiler section, whatever hints we have, because some people try to avoid that, the previews or anything online until it actually comes. But for those of you who want to know what they say about the ghost monument, still reeling from their first encounter, can the doctor and her new friend stay alive long enough in a hostile alien environment to solve the mystery of desolation? So I guess that's going to be our theme for that time. And just who are the Angstrom and Ebso? Apparently two new creatures, aliens, enemies, whatever that we're going to be introduced to. It's going to be guest starring Sean Dooley, Susan Lynch, and Art Malik. Written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Mark Tondre. I can't wait. So that concludes this week of the CKC podcast. Thank you so much for going on this adventure with us. If you really like what we do, check out our other channels. We have so many. We have Game of Thrones, Westworld, Sherlock, The Magicians, Mr. Mr. Robot. Robot. Plus, there's always Patreon, and we won't get into the long spiel here, but that's a place where you can get more content, including bonus episodes and movie reviews. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.